We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And a pleasant good afternoon to everyone out there in Irish Breakdown land. I am Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is Brian Driscoll. He is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And uh, it is a Friday free-for-all mailbag. Brian, best day of the week. And I'm ready to rock and roll. How about you? You only got an hour, so we need to dive right into this thing and get going. That's right. Yes, I only have an hour now that I'm back. Back in school, as you can see from my background, it'll, it's going to be kind of a where's Waldo for me for a few days to see kind of where I can find my spot. Uh, but today, here we are in the athletic director's conference room. So uh, moving into our first couple of questions, we've got everybody, uh, Michael, happy Friday, Brian and Vince, Tommy Guns with his, uh, his daily IB Nation shout out, which is awesome. Uh, OC Irish fan Vince other than coaching baseball what classes do you teach you must have a very understanding principal go Irish so uh, I am a PE teacher uh, here at Riley High School and so I teach PE all day long Uh, so this is my my period off that's also with my lunch so that's why I can give everybody an hour of my time during the day Uh, but I teach PE which is right down the hallway um uh, in the main gym, so that that is what I do uh, during the day, and I do have a, I have one of the best principals I've ever had in my almost two decades of teaching. Uh, my principal is unbelievable, so uh, he he is he's fantastic and uh, lets me do what I need to do, which I really appreciate. And uh, it doesn't hurt that his son is also a baseball player, so I appreciate that as well. But uh, all right, let's see here, Brian. What would your expectations for Notre Dame this year if Jakovic was starting at quarterback? Many of us would have inserted Jakovic at halftime of that UM disaster in 2019, and he may have won the job. So uh, I think Brian is having some technical difficulties, so I will uh, push forward on this one uh, until he comes back. Uh, Hey, Brian, what's up, man? Just trying to get this... uh... 
connection figured out. So am I still not clear? I don't know if you want to try to answer this question or you want me to go ahead and uh, and jump I mean, in. And you can it. give your opinion too. I'll, I'll share oh, mine I, afterwards. I was absolutely planning on it. Um, so, yeah. So if Dracovic was starting this year, number one, I don't think uh, – I don't think – Cone is in a Notre Dame uniform, uh, number one, because Phil Dracovic would have been a returning starter. Um, so I don't think, I don't think uh, we would be having a quarterback debate right now. Um, I would be very excited um, for what Notre Dame could be uh, if Phil Dracovic was the quarterback at Notre Dame right now. Um, I, I think that uh, Irish Nation would be very happy as well because they would have seen what he could do at a full year of starting last year potentially. Um, and he'd be coming back for what What would have been his last year at Notre Dame this year, correct? No, he'd still have another year left. He'd still have another year left? Yeah, he he was a red shirt. Okay. Plus the COVID year. Either way, he would have got a year back. Good point, yes. So, yeah, no, I would have been very happy. A lot of weapons around him, obviously. I think my expectations as far as like a win-loss record would be very similar to what they are currently. I just think it would look different, Um, and and that's kind of where I'm at with the Djokovic discussion. I mean, look, I know some people don't like this, but whatever. It was asked. I think it's a good question. I think it's a very yeah. fair question. I think so look, too. the guy's getting first round NFL draft pick in, you know, conversation from people after one year at Boston College. You, right. you know, if because if he was still at Notre Dame, let's just say hypothetically that Notre Dame would have put Phil Dracovic in the game after Michigan 2019, right? Whether it's as a full time deal or whether it's just to get him some experience, get him some opportunities, he'd have had that experience, he'd have had an offseason that would have been a little messed up like the one he had, but it would have still been a system that he already knew players. He already knew it will, it wouldn't have been as problematic. I think he would have gone into last year. I think he would have been very good last year against a yeah. pretty weak schedule. I think he would have put up good numbers. I think Notre Dame would have won every single game that they won last year. I mean, let's not forget Phil Dracovic almost beat Clemson at Clemson with the roster at Boston college. You know what I mean? So uh, I, that I, I I'm certainly, confident he could have been successful at Notre Dame with the team yeah. he had around him at Notre Dame. Yes. And then he'd be coming into this year as a, you know, basically a two and a half year starter with players he'd been with for four. I mean, look, he came in the same class with Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, all those guys that he was teammates with them for four years. They spent, right. we've talked about a lot in the show about how Kevin Austin has just dominated in practice at times. Well, the guy usually throwing him the ball in those instances was Phil Dracovic. I mean, we saw some springs this is Phil's last sprint. Well, actually I think his only spring at Notre Dame. Where I mean, him and Kevin Austin were just putting on clinics some days. Yep. Just with the deep ball. Yep. So yeah, I think Notre Dame would. I think Notre Dame would be a team that I I would say they'd have a shot to win the national championship this year. You know, I I'd say, uh, you know, you said your your record wouldn't change. I'd be more confident that this is a playoff team. I think this can still be a playoff team, but when you have okay, you can just put a team on his shoulders and carry him in ways that as much as I love Jack Cohn, he's just not going to be able to do. Then yeah, I think this team could beat anybody, especially when you go into a year where Notre Dame would have a two and a half year starter quarterback against Alabama, who has a new quarterback, Ohio State, who has a new quarterback, sure. Clemson, who has a new quarterback. You know, all those type of things. I'd feel really, really, really good about it. And there's going to be Notre Dame fans are going to hate on him. Like we got a comment about, oh, there's no pressure at BC. Actually, there's a ton of pressure on him at BC because he's still Phil Dracovic. So I've made this comment and I believe it. There's one group of fans in the entire country that don't think Phil Dracovic's really good, and that's Notre Dame fans. Now, not all of them, but there's not all of them. That have just yeah. bought into the lie that right. he wasn't as good as advertised, or he was because they just can't accept the fact that maybe, maybe Brian Kelly made a mistake. I mean, 
God forbid that we admit that, right? It, it's okay to say that, right? We can we can all say that, right? Like maybe we can say Urban Meyer maybe made a mistake by not starting Joe Burrow instead of Dwayne Haskins. I mean, it's okay to admit that great coaches make mistakes. It happens. But there's only one group of people in the world that don't think he's really good. And it's that group of Notre Dame fans who just stubbornly will not accept the fact that he is really, really freaking good. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, OC Irish fan says, I believe Hero Canoe had a game last night here in SoCal. Any update or news, reports, etc.? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're not going to – we don't usually get game-by-game game blows of yeah. – of recruits, I, I mean, I, I, don't want, I, I don't had a game. I was a little busy last night trying to transcribe all the interviews from yesterday and all that kind right. of stuff. So, yeah, right. I, I don't know. I'm sure I, he was I, good. When his film comes up, I'll have a chance to, I'll have a chance to look at it. But no, I think it's, and I think it's, you know, to his point, I don't really care to do the up to game to game, game by game updates. But I do, I am interested to see what kind of jump Hero makes as a senior sure. because he's still kind of new to this whole football thing, especially yeah. American football. That's true. And I'm really curious to see what kind of progress he can make technically and conditioning wise and all those type of things because he's already considered a pretty top prospect. And and I, I'm, I want to see what he does this year. I'm really curious to see what he does this year. Absolutely. Uh, do you, do you want, I don't know if you're looking at these over here. Do you want me to jump into we some keep, of the, look, this is, fr- this is Friday mailbag. Okay. If right. that's what the people want to talk about, then that's what the people want <laughs> to talk good, about. Sounds good, man. Nolan says, I think we've all realized that Jakovic thing was something personal. The guy has proven them wrong on everything related to his on-field ability. The most unfortunate part of it for me is that Jakovic seemed like a great guy that absolutely loved Notre Dame. Uh, and then follows it up with the coaching staff has to be better than that in the future if they ever want to sniff a title. I agree with a lot of that. I, I think for me, I don't think it was personal against Phil as much as it was personal towards Ian. There was this blind faith towards Ian book that Notre Dame had that just was, and, and there are some around the program that when, and it's not all, but the fact of the matter is, is every time a kid doesn't pan out, you get these character assassination reports behind the right. scenes, you know, talking to sources exactly. about how. So I remember when the stuff came out of it, because I was approached by one of those people saying, hey, he's not working hard. He's not doing this, which flew in the face of everything I'd ever heard from players about right. Fodrakovic. I, I mean, I had somebody who said he met a, a team captain who who they asked him, you know, hey, how are you guys going to be this year? And the team captain started talking about Fodrakovic and how good he was <laughs> and how hard he worked. And this was before 2019. So, you know, it just flew in the face of everything we heard. But, but but then, of course, my problem with that is then that is the mantra that the people that just believe everything that comes out of Notre Dame, they just glob, glob onto that. It's, oh, he doesn't work hard. He's this, he's that, and the right. other thing. And that's just unfortunate because it's not true. And there's a reason that the teammates at Notre Dame loved Phil. Uh, there's only one teammate that ever made a negative comment about Phil, and that was the guy that everybody thought Phil should have started over. That That's it. And even that was kind of an offhanded – you know, shot at Phil, but you know, it's just an unfortunate thing, but I think it was more of a, a pro Ian personal thing than it was an anti Phil Dracovic personal thing. In my opinion, I I don't think it was a, I don't like Phil. And I don't, I I just think it was, they wanted Ian. And part of it is because they want the structure. They wanted the structure that came with Ian quarterback. Now, again, I know Ian book could scramble and those kind of things, but with Phil Dracovic, you kind of got to throw the playbook out a little bit and just let him play. Right. And and Brian Kelly likes to talk a lot about the structure of our offense, the structure of our offense. And he wants the running 
to come from the structure of the offense where with Phil, sometimes you got to let them run around from left to right four times to launch past 40 yards downfield for completion. Right. You just have to accept that that's going to be part of what he does. You have to accept the fact that he's going to turn the ball over sometimes. That's what happens when you play that kind of, you know, that kind of game, just like Deshaun Watson played a real aggressive, confident game. And he turned the ball over 17 times, just picked, picked through 17 interceptions the year that he did that one thing with Clemson, which was, Oh, by the way, win a national championship, you know? So, uh, I think it was more of that style of play differences of opinion um, pro Ian than it was anti-Phil. I, I, I don't think there was a, I think the anti-Phil feeling from Kelly was more about anti us in the media that we're pushing for Phil. I think that was more of what Kelly didn't like. He doesn't like it when other people try to tell him how right. he should run his program, which I'm fine with. I mean, I, I wouldn't either if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't want Brian Driscoll telling me what to do if I was in Brian Kelly's shoes. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong, but right. I, wouldn't, exactly. I wouldn't like it. Right. Uh, Tommy Gunn says, Vince, what is your class theme? Uh, right now, my class theme is to just make sure the 40 kids in my class are doing what they're supposed to do. There's no there's no theme. Get in the gym, get changed, let's rock and roll. Uh, that, that's my theme. So continuity. Uh, let's see here. Larry wants to know, does Cone have one or two years of eligibility remaining? My understanding is it's only one. Now, I've had some debates with people, and there are other people claiming it's two, but I, my understanding is only one uh, because he played three years at Wisconsin. Last year was supposed to be his fourth year, and so you can't combine a medical and a, and a COVID in the same year. You can't get two years of eligibility out of one. Right, right. And it is the way I, I see it. So, you know, having he's already played three years, he gets another one back. It's not like he had a medical redshirt in another year where he then could have got – he played more than four games in all three of his previous seasons. So I believe it's only one, but I've had some people tell me that it's two. I still haven't got an answer on that. Christopher Sally says, any concern about the future depth at the Viper position? Any current or future players who are likely to change position to that spot? Oh, yeah, I think there's some concerns about it. You've got Ocita's got a, a foot injury. Will Schweitzer's got a shoulder injury. Isaiah Foskey's only got a couple years left. So, yeah, I think there's some concerns about it. I don't think it's necessarily incredibly concerning because it's a different defense now. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately Marcus Freeman wants to do a lot more three-down stuff, which means more big ends on the field. So, you know, if you're going to a pure three-down, you're going to have – Tyson Ford, you, you can have two Tyson Fords on the field on opposite ends. You don't need just one guy. And, and so you could have, in the way Mark Freeman, I think, wants to run his defense, you could use linebackers in that role at times. You can bring a Josh Burnham up off the edge and blitz him off the edges, play him in sort of a Viper role, even though he's a linebacker. You know, so I think there are a lot of different things that you can do in that regards that you don't need that true Viper. But they are, they are still recruiting that player. I think Aiden Kibera can play that position. Obviously, Wixer can play that position. Jordan Patojo can play that position. Uh, so, But I just don't think there's the same need for a true Viper in the sense that we've seen in, under Clark Lee, a guy yeah. that can drop into coverage and those kind of things. I, I think you can put a, two big ends on the field as long as they can both rush the quarterback and you're going to be fine in this defense. It's just, a, it's a different, and it's going to take some getting used to for us, all of us, but also we need to see it play out that way. Also, that's the other thing. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tommy Gunn says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, we don't use the word, the letters U and M together in the same word here. <laughs> Going back to the, the reference to the rain game at UM. Yep, we, yep, absolutely. Uh, JoJo says, good afternoon, Vince and Coach D. Happy Friday, guys, and the IB family. Vince, welcome to your favorite day of the week, and have a great weekend. That's the plan. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. Having a great weekend is always the plan. And uh, uh, dr- Tommy has another question too. Brian, did the deck get burnt? No, I won that battle. We are not burning the deck. Plus, we couldn't do it anyway. We'd have to wait a year to let all you know let the deck dry out first before we do that anyway. But I've won the battle for now. But I have a sneaky bad feeling that she's just letting me win the battle for now, uh, <laughs> since we can't do it anyway. And I'm gonna I'm gonna have to fight another couple rounds about that one. I have a feeling you're right about that as well. Uh, dropping dimes says Dracovic is a game changing QB, and, and I would think we would go to a title this year. Fair enough. Yeah. Corey D. Hey guys, keep up the exceptional work. In my opinion, this team has the ingredients to be Kelly's best and most talented team. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy, but I think you're feeling a little bit of that camp optimism. If sure. if it's something you're feeling, if it's just coming on now, it's the camp optimism. If it's something you've been feeling all summer. Like like we Vince and I have kind of talked about this. I don't know if it has a chance to be his best team, uh, talent wise, but I but I think it's certainly close. I definitely think it has a chance to be their best team record wise, and I definitely think this is a team that has an opportunity, Vince, to make a run. I, I really do, and it's because it's not just about them. You know, I mean Notre Dame's best team against Alabama's best team in the last five six years. Notre Dame's probably not winning that game very often. But Notre best team is maybe an Alabama team that's not quite up to par, like the 2017 Alabama team, the 2019 Alabama team. Yeah, I think Notre Dame can win that one. And that's kind of how I feel about this team. I think this is a really good Notre Dame team. As you made very clear yesterday, Vince, you pointed out that, look, speed is not going to be an issue with this Notre exactly. Dame Exactly, yeah. Right? As, as Like it has in the past. You know, this is a team that athletically can run with people. This is a team that's got talent on defense. This is a team that's got – you've got those motion sensor lights. <laughs> sure do. I'm like, turn on. Hold on. So, yeah, I think I think this is certainly a team that has a chance to be really good and a chance to play with everybody if everything falls into place. And that's the one difference between Notre Dame and, and Ohio State and, and Alabama and Clemson. I still think the margin for error for Notre Dame is smaller than theirs. But I think the gap is closed enough where if Jack Cohn's as good as we think he can be, 
if the offensive line can just be good, not great, just good, and if the defense is going to be as good as we think it can be and they stay healthy, I think this team has a chance to be Kelly's best. We'll, we'll, and now we get to find out over the next couple months if that's true or not. Yeah, I, 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 we'll see. I think I need to see a little bit more before I'm ready to say that this is going to be Kelly's best team. I will say this is going to be, and you brought it up a little bit, this is going to be Kelly's fastest team. And I think this is going to be Kelly's most athletic team. Um, whether that translates into best, I think remains to be seen at this point. But I like I like you said, speed's not going to be. Oh man, an issue. you're taking the easy. You're taking the easy answer out. Don't be I, that guy. I, don't be like, that guy because you could say the same thing about every team in the country. We don't know how anybody's going to be six days right. in the fall. Well, you, Have some, come on, it's Friday free for all. <laughs> don't give me that softness. You're here for an hour. Come correct. Come on, Vince. Hey. I know what you really believe about this team. And yeah, I, want you to say it. <laughs> I, I think this could be Kelly's. Don't best hold team. out on the people. Don't hold I, out on the people, Vince. <laughs> I do. I think this could be Kelly's best team. I'm out there. I I'll be honest with you. I think this is. The most well-rounded team I think that Kelly's had so far, and I'm excited <laughs> about it. I, All you right, know. so I called Vince out on that, and I just want everybody to understand. I didn't force Vince into an answer he didn't believe. I just – Vince and I are friends. Right? We talk a lot. And I know what he really believes about this team. And he was trying to give you the politically correct, oh, you know, I mean, look, it's early – you're not. We're not coaches anymore, Vince. All right, <laughs> we don't have to give the six days in the camp. And it'll be a, you can you can give your honest opinion. Vince and I we're on the same page. The margin for error is, is thin, right? Yeah. You know, a, a guy goes down here, a guy goes down there, yeah. but it has a chance. It has yeah. a chance if things go correctly to be Kelly's best team. Yeah, and I know Vince believes that. I do. So I have, I'm I'm looking out for the people, Vince. Yeah, I'm looking out for the people. I appreciate that. You got you always got to call me on my BS. You, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Because <laughs> I know what you believe, and I know how badly you want to say it. I do. You just I, don't want to be wrong at the end, which I understand. Well, but and I don't you know want what? people to be like, "Oh, he's just a homer," you know that kind of thing. Like I I I want to stay as far away from that as possible. Do, do you um, know why, Vince? Vince, you know why people watch this show? Because they know that we're going to give honest assessments, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're not the yeah, whole right. side. We're not the negative side. I get it all the time. You and Vince, guys, you guys tell it like it is, right? And so that's what we're going to do. We're not yeah. – and, and I would I would, warn, I would warn people, if Vince and I started talking about how good we think this team can be six days in a camp, then the homer thing or the, the early season excitement thing that happens is starting to kick in. The reason I'm comfortable calling Vince out and getting him to admit what I know he believes is because we've been talking about this for two months. Exactly. We've been talking exactly. about this since before fall camp started. Because every year you get that fall camp starts like, okay, you know what? This is the year. I know I've picked apart all everything's about the team for the last five months, but camp right. started. This is the year, right? Happens all the time. But we've been saying this for a while. And that's it, the exciting thing for me. And, yeah. and a lot of it comes down to the fact that I truly believe that this offense is finally going to turn the corner. That's where a lot of the optimism yeah. comes from. Sure. And and look, I, I still have concerns. You know, don't get me wrong. There, I, there's still concerns that that need to play out a little bit. Uh, but overall, and and, it, and you're right, it hinges on what I think the offense is going to be because I, I have I have all the confidence in the world in, in the defense. And yeah, they've had some 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 bumps and bruises and things of that nature and and whatever. But I think they're deep, and I think they have excellent coaches across the board on the defensive side. I have no worries about the defense. I really don't. And it, concerns, you know, we and we've talked about all those. Um, but I finally think the offense has turned a corner in that they're going to play to their strengths, 
And I think this team can be very explosive. I do. I, I, I just watching those guys run around yesterday um, and, and watching Tommy Reese control the offense uh, in practice was very refreshing to me. Uh, very refreshing. So, yeah, I'm very confident at this you point. You know what also is refreshing? It's what every great every coach needs. Great talent. Yeah. And, and look, as a coach, had I had a receiving core one year. I had three kids get named, you know, some some somewhere in all American. I had two kids from one receiving core get NFL tryouts, right? They weren't all great before I got there. The reason they were great when I got there is because you know, I think I was a good coach, but more importantly, I had really good tools to work with. Right. right. No coach takes a, a guy running a five two at receiver and turns him into an all American, right? You're right. You take exactly. guys with, with God given ability and it's your job to harness it and put it in the right direction. And that's my excitement with this is because I think that the the talent is there. You know, it's like in a lot of years, Notre Dame's had the line, had the tight ends, had the quarterback, had the receivers, had the running backs to be a great offense. They've just never had all of those ingredients in one year. Right, right? now, I'm still a little concerned about the offensive line, but I've never been as confident in the combination of quarterback, running back, tight end, receiver as I am with this group. Yeah. That's the difference. Absolutely. Is is the skill is there. Now it's like the offensive line has to not suck. I mean, that's literally it. Because everybody's like, oh, the offensive line's going to be as good as last year. The 2018 offensive line wasn't anywhere close to what it was last year. Notre Dame went 12-0 in 2018. Exactly. Right. You know, and, and 2019 Notre Dame went to 10 and 2. 11 and 2 if you count the bowl game with a, a a line that was even worse than the 2018 offensive line. The problem that year was quarterback play, at times running back play, and at times receiver play, other than the top two commit in, in Claypool, was not where it needed to be. And the defense right. took a step back. Right. And, and that team still went 10 and 2 and was with was what 40 yards away from a, a touchdown to beat Georgia. Right. And, and so that's where my optimism comes from. It's it's the skill on this team, and Vince talked about it yesterday, you know. But see, that's where the margin for error comes. Because if you lose Kevin Austin, you lose Braden Lindsay, you can still be good, but will you be able to then still be competitive for a championship? That's a bigger question mark. For right. Me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Colin C says, Will there be a surprise show this week? Might be one on Sunday. We'll see. There you go. There you go. Orange glove guy, how do you see this O-line inside of the 10? Can they power it in? I think that still remains to be seen. But I actually think that's part of the, the offensive line that I think would be okay. Right. Because you ha- you'd have that right side of, of Patterson, Madden, Lug, and the tight ends. And then on the other side, you got Zeke Carell, who we've seen kind of play before. He's a pretty good player. And then you have a big old Blake Fisher. So I think the one thing that they can do is is in the t- in tight quarters really be physical. Yeah. I'm more concerned when you're out in the field and teams can run a lot more twists and slants and pressures and do more things like that. That's where I get a little bit more concerned about the offensive line than I am when it comes to tight quarters, mano a mano, me versus you. I'm less concerned about the offensive line. Because that's where Kane Madden, for example, will thrive. You took the words right out of my mouth. Yep. I completely agree with that. Great minds. Yep. Yeah, that because that – Cause look, he he's a hoss. He he's a hoss in the middle. I mean, and and when you're when he's drive blocking somebody, he's gonna move them. I mean, I, I have no doubt in my mind, and I feel the same way about Josh Lug, and I feel the same way about Patterson. So, um, I, I'm putting a tie. I'm putting Mayer and and whoever else on the right side, and I'm coming right at you. I mean, that's that's what I would do. You know, inside the ten, because that's not a place where you're gonna be pulling 
linemen to to run outside. You're not going to run necessarily, you know, a screen game where you need to get linemen out front. I, that's not what you're doing inside the ten. So, um, yeah, I, I I think they'll be fine. We'll see who that running back is. It's getting the ball inside the ten. I think that's going to be kind of a fun thing to keep an eye on. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think they'll be okay inside the ten. Let's see. Skyler Hill. Awesome show, guys. Williams is crazy to watch. I look forward to watching him this year. Can he set a passing yards record at running back in the Kelly era? Very good question. Do you know off the top of your head, Brian, who he would be chasing at that point? I'm thinking it's Armando. I'm looking that up now. Just give me a second. Okay. I thought it was I thought Armando caught a lot of balls back in 2010. Armando Allen. Just give me a second. Gotcha. So Armando in 2010 caught not as many as I thought. Maybe that was 2009 that he did that. Okay. So it was – oh, so we're going to count running back just as guys that were actually playing running backs. We're not counting Theo Riddick in 2010 and 11. That makes sense. Because Armando finished his career really high, so a lot of his stats came during the Charlie era. So you have Theo Riddick caught 36 passes in 2012 for 370 yards. Kyron Williams this year had 35 for 313. That's <laughs> that's the best running back mark. So yeah, I would, yes, I would I would say so. I, I mean, because you look at like Torian Folson at 18, CJ Prosize had 26 for 308 in 2015, 2016 no, 2017 definitely not. Uh, see, Tony Jones never had like that kind of production at running back, even though he's a good yeah. So I mean, last year Kyron had the second most. The second most catches and second most yards for a running back in the Brian Kelly era. So yeah, I'd say he has a pretty good shot at at uh, at getting to that point. No question. Yeah, no question. yeah. I'd, he's basically looking to beat himself. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I think, now, now the yeah. question would be from a stat standpoint is you know if he have if obviously makes some bigger plays then that's good. Like CJ Procise, you know, almost matched Kyron Williams in yards. He had three hundred six to Kyron's three thirteen. Yeah, uh, and and CJ played fewer games because remember CJ got hurt that year. He only played eleven games, and then he only played like the first quarter of the Ohio State game right. and the first quarter of the Pitt game. So CJ played a lot fewer snaps than Kyron did that year, uh, and, and had what twenty six catches, so three hundred eight yards. So he was only five behind Kyron in fewer games, but he averaged almost twelve yards a catch. He had twenty six catches, right? So more bigger play. So the the. More bigger plays means you're going to have potentially fewer catches, and so I think that's something to obviously consider when you're looking at it. Is you know is he going to be able to is he going to be able to to match the you know the, the catches that he and 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 Theo Riddick had? It just depends on if he's not making too many big plays. But I I'd be a little surprised if he doesn't. The other thing to consider too is he's going to be splitting some of those catches also with Chris Tyree. That's true. And if teams are focusing more on Kyron then you may see opportunities for Chris to make more plays because of how teams are game planning to stop Notre Dame. So that, that all those things factor into it. Just because one guy's maybe catching more doesn't mean he's a greater focal point or the staff likes him more, he's a better player. Sometimes it's just he's catching more because the defense isn't letting that guy catch the ball, and so this guy's going off. Yeah. And, and I think we could see some of that this year too, especially with Kyron, because I, I if you're not thinking i got to stop 87 and 23 going into the early season games, then I just don't know what you're watching. Right. Unless you've just done a lot of you know high school film breakdowns again of Kevin Austin, which I don't think anyone's <laughs> doing. <You're> right. <laughs> good point. Very good point. 
Okay. Uh, let's see here. John Keevers, he says, how do you feel about our corners once they get beat at the line? So that's kind of a loaded question because, uh, you know, will Notre Dame be running, um, you know, a, a lot of on an island coverages, you know, uh, cover one, uh, you know, man to man, things of that nature. Yeah, I think that they will be, um, you know, if, if they get beat off the line, I don't care who you are. It doesn't really matter. Um, you know, can they catch up? Yeah. Look, I think uh, Hart, I think he's got some speed. I think Clarence Lewis has some speed, you know, things like that. Uh, but I think if they're consistently getting beat off the line, then they're not going to be running a lot of man to man. And I, I, you know, I would, I would be very worried if they were getting beat off the line, because if you're going up against college receivers and you get beat off the line, it, it's over. It, it doesn't matter. So do you have safeties? Is it a cover two situation where it's kind of a bump and run technique from the corner position and then they're dropping into a zone in the flat and then you've got safety help over the top? Um, you know, so are they actually getting beat or are they just, you know, punching and then letting them go kind of a thing? Yeah, if they're getting beaten, it's one on one, and the safeties are occupied with with their guys. Then that's a huge problem. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that any corner in the country, once you get beat off the line, uh, if you've got bad technique, if you're leaning forward and you got bad technique and you get swum over, or or you know, however the receiver is getting past you, it doesn't matter. It's game over. So I, I guess I'm not as worried about it because I don't think that these guys are going to get beat as much. Uh, in practice yesterday, they were doing a lot of bump and run coverages, and I and I thought the corners handled themselves very, very well. Uh, they weren't getting beat off the line, and the wide receivers for Notre Dame are some of the better receivers that these corners are going to see all season. So if they can battle and they can be successful against Notre Dame's receivers, then I feel really, really good about what they look like moving forward against other competition. So, um, yeah, but that's a really good question, John. Really good question. Uh, John Klimek says, read the practice observations. Lug sounds like he will be solid. I'm starting to think the line could be solid. Want to see how Fisher does with pads on. Oh, believe me, no one was more disappointed to see uh, Fisher walk to practice in shorts and a t-shirt. I, I was really looking forward because we knew that they were going to scrimmage or at the very least go 11 on 11, which is really what they did. Uh, I, I hesitate to call what they did a scrimmage uh, because it really wasn't much of a scrimmage. But it was 11 on 11. They had referees there. You know, they were calling penalties, you know, things like that. And I, I would have loved to see uh, Blake Fisher go up, you know, go up against whoever uh, that he was going up against. I, I think this this line absolutely has the potential to be solid. Um, you know, will they be more than solid this year? I think that remains to be seen. But I have a lot of faith in Patterson. I have a lot of faith in Josh Lug. Um you know, I have faith in Kane Madden if it's if it's a run play and he's just double teaming with Patterson or, or with Lug um, and he doesn't have to necessarily get out in space. Um, I like Zeke Carell. I do. I, I think he'll be very serviceable there at left guard. And, and again, Blake Fisher's a freshman, so I think there's going to be some growing pains there. But I think there's going to be growing pains for this entire line. And, and I wasn't expecting miracles in practice six from this offensive line. I think that they can be very good good when they get time you know i feel like give it another week or two and let's see where this line is at but at the same time i think you're gonna have to give it a game or two or three before we really see who this line is uh now am i am i saying that they're not going to be able to be successful against a florida state 
um, or obviously a Toledo. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I, I think that this line will be just fine against those two teams. I, I really do, uh, especially since this line has to go up against the defensive line uh, of Notre Dame. I, you know, you've heard Brian and I say it a million times, John, that that this defensive line could potentially be one of the best in the country. And even though they were missing a couple of pieces yesterday, they were still dominating the offensive line. But again, I've coached for a long time. Brian's coached for a long time. If the offensive line was dominating the defensive line in, in practice number six, especially with four returning or four new starters on this line, I'd be very worried about what this defense is going to be doing. Uh, it just takes longer to gel. It just takes longer to gel. I, I, I tend to agree with you, John. I think this line could be very solid. I, I think they really could be. And I am very excited for next Thursday when we get another open practice and hopefully Blake Fisher is out of concussion protocol at that point, and uh, we'll be able to see what he has uh, he has to offer. So, looking forward to that. David Knight says this is for both Vince and Brian. So as soon as Brian gets back, I will uh, definitely ask him this question as well. Uh, but he says this is for both of you since you both coach. When someone starts tanking, whether a corner, quarterback, or kicker, what do you tell them to attempt to get them back on the right track? Really good question, because obviously we're, we're we're talking mental, not physical, and it it really varies on the player. You know, I've I've obviously dealt with a lot of quarterbacks in my time, uh, being on the offensive side of the ball, uh, but any player that that that's struggling, and you know that it's not a physical struggle, you have to really kind of know the player individually to kind of figure out how to pull them out of it. Some guys really respond to being yelled at. Um, and I, and I don't mean like in a degrading way, but you know, they, they respond to raise voice there. There's other guys that you want to pull off to the side and, you know, you, you put your hands on their shoulder pads and you, you're just kind of right here with them and you put their head, you know, and Hey, you just, Hey man, you're fine. Just go out there and do what you do. Relax, take a breath. You're doing, ju- you're fine. Um, that's a lot more with like kickers, uh, you know, and quarterbacks, you know, with quarterbacks, what I would tell quarterbacks is you, you go back to your fundamentals. You know, hey, go through your reads, relax, you know, trust your offensive line. Because uh, a lot of times when, when quarterbacks get the yips, it's because they're they're worried about the rush uh, or they're worried about their receivers doing, you know, not doing their job or whatever. Um, you just got to remind them, hey, everybody's going to do their job. You got to do your job and you got to lead. Go through your progression. So I just, I bet, I guess I just break it down. Now that I'm hearing myself talk about it, I kind of break it down into just smaller pieces. Hey, do this, then you can do this, right? Don't look at it as just everything coming at you all at once. You break it down, get this done first, then you get this done, etc. And I will say for a quarterback, a lot of that uh, can be play calling as well. Um, if I'm calling plays for a quarterback that's just not reading the field very well, uh, if I'm if I'm with a quarterback that that's just not reading the field very well, I'm going to call plays that I'm obviously either handing off, maybe they're maybe they're reading a zone read, that kind of a thing, or maybe it's just quick game where there's no thinking involved. It's just the quarterback getting the ball to you know a slant or to a hitch or just something just quick. Hey, let's get this quarterback back in his rhythm, you know that kind of a thing. I, I think that's very beneficial as well. So um, so I think it's kind of a multi-folded question uh to be honest with you so but i think that's a really good question david i i I really appreciate that uh i'm interested to hear what brian has to say when he comes back but for me it's just breaking it down simple and again it has to do with play calling as well just making sure that you're doing things to to make everybody successful 
So, Brian, I'm going to ask you this question since you are back. Uh, it says, this is for both Vince and Brian, since you both coach. When someone starts tanking, whether a corner, quarterback, or kicker, what do you tell them to attempt to get them back on the right track? It's different for every kid. I mean, that's yep. the thing is it's just going to depend on the kids. Some kids need a kick in the butt. Uh, most kids, though, when they're battling confidence issues, it's it's it, pause, some some sort of positive feedback is is where you need to be. I mean, you know, I think because the last thing most kids need when they're having confidence issues is to get ripped by the people that, that need to be building <laughs> them up. Absolutely. But, you know, but I've had some kids who that's just what worked for them. Just the, hey, if you don't get this right, I'm putting your butt on the bench and I'm going to find somebody else who can do it. There does come a point in time where that conversation needs to be had. And and sometimes that's the thing. But I think it's just, I think it's number one, the keys are you have to be able to identify the problem. If you can identify the problem with the kid, then that's going to give him confidence that he can make the corrections. So like if you have a kicker, hey, listen, look at this. Your, 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 your lead step is too far. So you're hitting the... You've started to get into this bad habit of of the balls. Your you know your lead step is too far in front of the ball, so your 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 kicking leg is hitting it too far behind. We got to get you back on track and have you step correctly. With a quarterback, it's like hey, you're you know you're you're, you're rushing your throws. You're snapping the ball off and you're you're getting it out too quick. You're not snap you know you're 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 not snapping the ball off. I should say you know you're rushing your feet. You're rushing your reads. Let's get out of those things. With catching, it's like hey, it's in your head now. You know here's a technical problem that you're doing. Stop thinking about it. Go back to right. this. And you may show them film of when they were doing well. Back. Look at this terrible technique. Of course you can beat on that play. This is Division One football. You can't you can't make those kind of mistakes and expect to go out and, and, and win. <laughs> so I think those are the things that you do is you you can point out to what times when they've been successful, point out the reasons they're struggling. Because if a kid is just struggling because it's in his head and you can't find something to address, then 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 it's those get fixed a lot less often. Yes. You've got to be able to identify some, even if it's, even if you know, as a coach, it's not really the reason his technique is faltering because of the confidence. If you can turn it into a technical problem and he buys that, then he says, Oh, okay, I'm good. I'm, it's not me that it's not that I stink. It's not that I can't play. It's not that it's just, Oh, I got to correct this thing. Right. And then you're good to go. Yep. That's basically what I said. I said you just I break it down into smaller pieces. I said some of it comes down to play calling too. If you have a quarterback, okay, well, we're just going to go to quick game. Stop thinking about it. We're just going to you know hit some quick throws, things like that, kind of get them back into a rhythm, you know, things of that nature. Um, but it's all about getting back to the basics for me when I'm trying to explain it to a kid. So let's see. Uh, JTH one on my betting side, I can bet Notre Dame to have over eight and a half wins this season. Going to hammer it. How confident are you in that happening? I'm hesitant to answer this Vince, because I I don't want someone to bet because of me. (laughs) Like put their mortgage down. Right. (laughs) Number one, number two, I'm not quite sure if those things are referred to just regular season or not. I don't, I don't, again, I don't bet, so I don't know, but I'd be shocked. All I know is is that if if when I look at Notre Dame's schedule, I'd be shocked, shocked if Notre Dame wins fewer than nine games. Yes. Shocked. Yep. Absolutely that, shocked. That's the best answer, uh, and I agree. And please do not go and you know put a bunch of money on it and then blame us if we're wrong. Uh, <laughs> that, that that is not what we're saying. Uh, but I, you know I. As I sit here today, I'm 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 fairly confident that Notre Dame will have nine or more wins. Um, 
So you just take that yeah. for whatever it's worth. We we are we are not telling you to bet. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Philip says almost football season. Did you ever do an evaluation of Gavin Wimsett? My brother is teammates with him. Yeah, I did one. I did. There's a, if you go if you just type in Gavin Wimsett SI uh, into Google search, uh, the probably the first thing that'll pop up is a film evaluation I did or like a film breakdown I did of him. Uh, so yeah. I, I have done something on on him, definitely. <laughs> Tommy Guns uh, hitting us with a super chat, Brian. You got it. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's hear your best pregame speeches as if you're in the locker room getting ready to head out onto the field. Uh, okay, <laughs> I never paid attention to pregame speeches when I was a kid. When I was a player, yeah, I, I never did. I'm not a great motivational speaker. Uh, I can get pretty fired up. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm very much a – I don't plan out my speeches. It is a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing. Uh, I, I kind of just speak from the hip. So uh, that that's kind of how I am. And my I'm like an in-the-moment kind of guy. So uh, that's mm-hmm. how my pregame speeches go. Um, I've given good ones and I've given bad ones. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. I never paid attention to <laughs> anything my coaches said when it came to pregame. I've, I've always been someone that believes that if you're ready to play, you're ready to play. Sure. Uh, there have been yeah. times in their pregame speech kind of helped. I think the, the Lou Holtz Miami one kind of, you know, but, but that team was already ready to play, which is why they got in the fight in the first place. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But, yes. I, I mean, but I, I don't know, like my favorite pregame speeches are like for movies. You know, because like they're written by a team of writers. one inch, you know, her <laughs> right. Brooks before they played the Russians, you know, uh, right. Those Your are always time. those are always ones that I like, but I, I never paid attention to those. My my best speeches, I guess, were always impromptu in the middle of a game. You yeah. know what I mean? If we weren't playing well, you know, I I could I think I could rally the troops kind of well, but it was just more of an emotional in the moment thing. It wasn't something exactly. that was a lot of a lot of preparation that went to it. So. Yeah, I, I just have never been that 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 guy. So sorry. But thanks, Tommy, for the super chat. Really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. We got another one down there, Brian, if you want to grab that one too. Yeah. Of course, Newt Rockney's, you know. Oh, of course. That one that one was one that gets me excited. Of course. Uh so Logan Hale, thank you for the super chat, Logan. Really appreciate it. Says, is Kevin Bauman hurt or is he being limited in practice due to a previous injury? Keep up the great work. He was out there yesterday, right, Vince? Mm-hmm. Yep, he sure was. Okay. Yeah. Just not getting a ton of targets. Right. Yep. And he, I mean, yeah, he was running with the different teams and stuff. He's not running with the first team. Um, uh, but he he was running. It was just Kane was getting a lot of targets with kind of that lower group. Um, and he just wasn't at I mean, it just could have been the day, you know what I mean? But yeah, he's out there for sure. He's out there. Let's see. Christopher Sally. Yes. Christopher Sally. What are your thoughts on recruits working with private coaches in the offseason like a quarterback coach? It depends if it's a good one or not. Yeah. I, I'm all for getting extra instruction and coaching. I think that if, if you have a child or you have a player or you, I don't know, I say, make sure that you find a coach, a quarterback's coach that's going to instruct you in ways that's going to be similar to what you're doing on your high school team. You don't want a quarterback coach that's going to say, hey, we're going to do it this way, but your quarterback's coach and your offense corner is like, no, 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 we do it this way. And then right. you have that battle. You want to find someone that, number one, is going to be able to continue what is the philosophy of, of who you are. who you are, Or if you have a, co- a, co- a high school coach, because this can happen a lot more in high school, is 
you may have a coaching staff that says, hey, look, we know our limitations. We don't really have anyone that's great at teaching technique or footwork of a quarterback. We understand right, that. So right. work with that guy and we'll we'll then do the work to find out what he's teaching and make sure that we emphasize that when you get back with us. Or have the time. Right. You know, and, and that's always part of it too. I mean, sometimes high school coaches and, you know, you just don't have the time to work on some of that kind of stuff. So uh, it's good to have well, kind of Especially like at the levels you know. that you've coached, Vince, and this isn't a knock. It's just a smaller area. There's yeah. there's areas where I come from where, you know, you you can have – you you don't have very many guys going two ways. So you can have right. an offensive and a defensive practice going on at the same time. It's right. harder to do that like around here, for example, yeah. in the South Bend area. But yeah, it's when your it, quarterback is also your free safety or, you know, yeah. <laughs> something along the, those the, lines. The problem yeah, right. now is is quarterback coaching has become like a big business now. And so there's a right. lot of people that see it as a way to make money. So there's a lot of people that have no business coaching quarterbacks, <laughs> coaching quarterbacks. Right. And they throw some expert name on it. And people think they're an expert when in reality, I wouldn't hire them to coach you know, my, my middle school football quarterbacks. Exactly. You know? Yes, exactly. That's a, that's a problem. And, and and then there's some guys that just, they feel like they got to do all these crazy drills to make it seem like they're doing something. You know, that was always my issue with George Whitfield. Like he'd be doing these dumb drills. I'm like, that doesn't translate to games. Right. It just doesn't. Right. Then there's guys like Steve Clarkson, who who isn't the glory hound that George Fit, Whitfield was. And you, you watch him and what he's doing. You're like, yeah, okay, that guy knows what he's doing. I'd send my kid to go with that guy. Yeah, uh, and there are others like that, but there's just a lot of. I would vet them seriously, and I would allow you know if you have a child, allow his high school coaches or college coaches to vet whoever you may consider hiring. So Vince was smart; he just hired me to work. I with was going to say this kid. I, I just go to Brian Driscoll. <laughs> I, I, you know, he goes go to the source. <laughs> now he's a kicker, so I don't know what that means. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it was a smart choice. Yeah, it's probably true. Uh, Matt Romero says, ND appears to have gotten a handle on turnovers the past couple seasons. How much of that is a product of the offense slash quarterback play, and how do you think opening up the offense would affect their turnover margin? This is a really good question, actually. Yeah, because I think part of the problem with turnovers is they just didn't take chances. Exactly. There has to be a sort of a, a, a cost analysis, you know, cost-benefit analysis that goes into turnovers. And because you can be so good at not turning the ball over that you've now eliminated your ability to make plays. Or big plays, you know, and then then there's, yeah, you're making a lot of big plays, but your turnover, this was my big problem with Brett Favre. During his really good stretch, where the Packers were like won a Super Bowl and then playing Super Bowl, you know, he he was he was always going to throw picks, but there was a there was a cost-benefit analysis that you look at and say, yeah, it's worth it. As he got older, it became less beneficial. Right. For, you know, because he, he was making so many turnovers or and not making as many plays that it became a hindrance to what right. you were doing. So you have to find that balance. And, and for me, I felt like Notre Dame was too anti turnover, especially the quarterback was too anti turnover. Yes. Now, look, there's never a good opera, there's never an excuse for fumbles. I'm more looking at interceptions here. And the timing of them, the location of them, if it's third and 10 and you want to take a shot in midfield, take a shot at midfield. Because if they pick it off, they're going to, you know, they're going to have it at their own 15. It's as good as a punt, you know, in some instances. I'm not saying right. you do that, but I'm saying that's a good time to take a shot. Uh, getting picked off at your own from your own five on a deep shot that they're getting the ball inside. That, that's not as smart of a shot, right? That's not as smart of a turnover. But I also feel like you have to be willing to take some chances, knowing that sometimes it's just it's going to go through a guy's hands and the safety is going to pick it off or 
you know, hey, I took my shot and 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 it didn't work. But you know, there's always timing. Hey, look, you know, that's not the time to make that throw. That's not the time to make that attempt at sure. your own 15. We don't want to try. Want you? We don't want you trying to fit a corner route in on second and eight at our own 15. At, at, at you know, the 40 yard line on third nine. Yeah, take that shot. You know what I mean? There's got to be a time and a place for it. And I felt like with Ian Book, it was always he was so afraid of turning the ball over that he just stopped taking a chance. And I think yeah. go back and watch the Duke game, Vince. There's a couple throws Ian Book made in that game early where I'm like, okay, there, there we go, including one he made to, I believe, Michael Mayer, where he like it was like a deep outcut where he fit the ball. There was a corner here, a safety here, and a linebacker here, and he just put that sucker on a dime right in there. And then a series or two later, he threw a pick. And it's like he was never the same guy after that. Right. Remember and that? that he had that, had that screenplay to Kyra Williams. In the next play, he, he sails the ball to Tommy Tremble, and it gets picked off. Right, and it's like he was so unwilling to take a chance for like the next four games, and and right. we saw the offense just not perform well in the next, you know, a few games in the past game, and you know, South Florida they didn't really throw the ball against South Florida. That that was more running down South Florida's throat, and they ran all over Florida State, and then they couldn't do anything against Louisville because Louisville was like, we're not going to let you run all over us. So I I think there there has to. I wouldn't necessarily they've gotten a handle on turnovers the last couple of seasons. Just because you're not turning it over doesn't mean you got a handle on it. Right, exactly. Not being willing to take chances isn't getting a handle on turnovers. That you know, it just I don't see it that way. But it's yeah, a very no, good question. I, yeah. That's no, a really good question because on paper it does appear that way, but not in style of play and 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 just like you said. So I agree. Uh Dustin Demumbrum. All right, that's a mouthful, but Welcome, Dustin. Because I think this might be the first time we've seen Dustin. So, welcome. yeah, it looks like a new name. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, did some recon on FSU <laughs> and it, he probably just listened to our podcast about FSU, is my guess. But uh, no, he says, I think he probably did a little bit more than that. Otherwise, no, why joking. is he asking us a I'm, question? I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> nice. Um, Guys, first time asking a question and you're busting his <laughs> chops, Vince. <laughs> Hey, bad hosting. Welcome to the family. Okay, that's yeah. how, that's how we. Uh, anyway, did some recon on FSU and man, their interior line play is weak. I see Adam Yola, Mills, Heinish having big days in Tallahassee. What position group for FSU, if any, could create problems for Notre Dame? It's a good one. I would say I don't know if I'd say position group, but Jermaine Johnson, their defensive end, uh, concerns me a little bit going against a true freshman, mm-hmm. Blake Fisher, uh, and, and Josh Lug. I think Josh Lug will probably have a better chance of handling that one, but but Blake Fisher makes me just makes me a little just sure. a freshman makes me a little yeah. bit nervous. Their running backs are really good, and if Notre Dame's linebackers play like they did at times last year, those running backs could create problems by making people miss and then also making plays in the pass game. That would be a little bit concerning for me. So just off the top of my head, those are the two position groups that give me the most problems. And if Jordan Travis is starting a quarterback, then you add the entire backfield into that because. Again, if the linebackers are missing tackles and not being disciplined and things that we saw how they were last year, Jordan Travis can do some damage too, which is exactly what we saw in that game last year, which is why Florida State scored 26 points. A yeah, lot right. of it was him kind of you know, running around, guys losing contain, linebackers not doing their job, Jordan Travis making plays because people weren't gap sound and gap conscious and assignment correct at linebacker. So that would be those would be the two areas where I'd one on each side of the ball where I'd be most concerned about Florida State being able to create some problems for Notre Dame. Actually, we have a super chat if you want to go ahead and grab that, Brian. Michael says, just want to say thank you for giving us the best ND content on the internet. Thanks, Michael, for the super chat and the compliment. Very nice. Travis Miner says, I thought 
Uh, yeah, I thought Major League Baseball hit a home run, pardon the pun, with the Field of Dreams game last night. Can you think of a way for the NFL or a Power Five conference to similarly combine competition and nostalgia? You know, the problem is, is a lot of the places where there could be nostalgia in college football, those buildings are all gone now. Gone. The Orange Bowl's gone. The Cotton Bowl, I believe, is gone. Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I mean, they, and they made a, yeah they made a big deal about Notre Dame going back to Yankee Stadium and how they had so many games there. But well, they, they didn't really have didn't. they never had a game there. Exactly, right. a different yeah. building. Right. Uh, yeah, that was a stretch uh, for the me. L.A. Coliseum is really the only one that, yeah. that, in my opinion, that still exists. Even like Notre Dame Stadium doesn't look like it used to. Right, it's fine. You know, honestly, I think you know that's kind of what I why I miss the bowl games. The traditional bowl games. Sure. Just to me, that is what made college football great. That I mean, we, we were kind of having we had something on our message board, Vince. I don't know if you saw this, but somebody posed a question like, "What are the top five non Notre Dame games you've ever seen?" And nine out of ten of those of those picks were all bowl games. Yeah, of course they were, because it was big matchups. Right. It was, yeah, yeah. It was, it was Boise against Oklahoma. It was you know yeah. you think of some Rose Bowl matchups. You think of you know things like that and. You know, the, I, I miss those. I miss that. I miss looking forward to that great Rose Bowl matchup or that that great, you know, Orange Bowl matchup where, you know, Miami was going to play Nebraska or Oklahoma or somebody. You know, I, I miss those bowl game matchups where Notre Dame got to play Colorado, you know, and, and not in a playoff deal, but just more of a, a traditional bowl game. And then sure. let's see how the chips fall after the bowl games, you know, happen. And that's kind of why I put so much emphasis on when I made my college football playoff expansion proposal that it be tied into the bowl games where, Right. You make your picks after the bowl games. But honestly, I'd have to think about that one, Travis. Uh, yeah, because I just yeah. I just think I mean, there's there's not like really a movie because like that was based off of a movie. Right. There's Correct. really no nostalgia there when it comes to Major League Baseball. It's it's a movie. It I mean, was it really, nostalgia because it was an old movie. It, older, yeah, it, was, it, was yeah, it was like it was a but fake it was, story. It wasn't a real story. It, it was wasn't based like, on a novel. I mean, right. Yeah. Right. So, it's, I mean, it, now former, you know, Joe Jackson and, you know, they had the little sure. crack about Babe Ruth in there, which I thought was great. You know, we never liked the you know what when he was alive. Um, <laughs> or was that about Ty Cobb? I can't remember which one that was. Yeah, Might have been, been Ty Cobb. But the, yeah. the, it was nostalgic because we all right. remember that movie from when it came out. And right. Out but it, it wasn't. Dads and, right. Yeah. It wasn't nostalgic from the standpoint of there was any real baseball connection right. to it, which I think is pretty cool. There's yes. just that I can think of off the top of my head. I can't think of anything football related that matches that. Yeah. The only thing I could come up with, Brian, because – I, I even I Googled earlier because uh, I'm doing something about this later. Top football movies, you know, of all time, whatever. And none of them like play in like an iconic stadium or, you know, any of that kind of thing. So you can't that doesn't really exist. The only thing that I was able to come up with is Friday Night Lights. You know, maybe the NFL goes and plays in one of those big Texas high school stadiums, you know, something along those lines. But does that really do anything for anybody outside of that city? Yeah, because I don't think that has the same feel as right. that cornfield and all that cool stuff that, Absolutely. that went on with that. I just I don't know if that's, that's the, all I could come up with. Yeah. Like, it, you know, any given you Sunday, have a game on the home fate. of the of the Texas State armadillos. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and if that's not on your list of favorite football movies, you're fired. No, that's I'm a saying. I just say roughness needs to be on that list. Of I great, of just great watched it the other day. Scott Bakula, he's my guy. <laughs> So don't worry. Paul Blake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You hire a new assistant coach without telling me. No, I found you a new quarterback without telling you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's great. great. I love that movie. So I might funny. Watch it again. Uh, let's see here. John Klimek says that's a good point on structure. How does that fall into recruiting, though? We knew Phil was that kind of a quarterback out of high school. Do they recruit them thinking that they can change who they are? It's a different coordinator. Remember, Tommy Reese and Chip Long were not on the staff when they got a commitment from Phil Dracovic. And then when, you know, when Phil, when they got hired, that's, you know, Phil's kind of already there. And, you know, that, that, that's, I just wish they would have told him when he was in high school, hey, you're not a fit here. And, yeah. We're looking for a different kind of quarterback, but right. you know, I think they've kind of come around to it. I mean, Tyler Buckner is a similar type of quarterback, mm-hmm. you know. I, but I, I do think Tyler is more playing from structure in high school than Phil was. But uh, yeah, he uh, he could have been really good. Yep, I look, really good. I, I don't want to belabor this point, but I Phil brought his high school team to Notre Dame for a seven on seven tournament, and they ended up winning the whole thing. And so, like the championship game is in the stadium, and I was in there watching it, and. Dude is just throwing dimes, man. I mean, just just throwing dimes. And I was like, I was so excited about the future with him at the helm. Like, yeah. Anyway, that's when I fell in love with Phil Jakovic was on that day. But yeah. anyway. But quarterback uh, has still, I mean, look, let's take that out of the equation. I, I think that's why the Jack Cohn pickup was so good because I do think they still have a quarterback that's capable of leading to them to that next level. I do, oh, I do too. I do. Again, yeah. this isn't a shot on Jack Cohn or Drew Pines. No. It's, it's more of just we think Phil Dracovic's really freaking good. Yeah. But I think Jack Cohn can be that kind of guy in a different type of way, and especially with the talent around him. In some areas, a guy like Jack Cohn could even be better for you because of like what you talked about yesterday, that ball, get the ball out quick, make quick decisions, those type of things. That's not necessarily Phil's – strength it wasn't last year anyway you know phil's got to develop and get better in those areas now how would that have been improved if he was able to play last year with receivers he'd played with before or in a system that he knew that's a conversation for a different day but i think that's an area where you don't necessarily need a guy that can put a team on his shoulders with this notre dame squad you need a guy when you've got kyron and tyree and austin and Lindsay and keys and davis and wilkins and some you know, Colsey and Styles and Watts and, oh, by the way, Michael Mayer and George Takis. <laughs> right. You don't necessarily need a guy that's going to run around and do those things. You need a guy that's saying, hey, read the defense, see that fast guy and that fast guy and that fast guy and that fast guy and the best tight end in the country and the best pass-catching running back in the country. Get them the ball. Right. Right? Yep. And so that's why I think Jack Cohn was really a great fit for for this offense because I think he can be that – you, again, I use this. I've changed the term because when I say game manager, people automatically assume that's an insult because that right. game, that term has been bastardized. When I actually think that's a that's a compliment I can be great. a compliment. That's why I changed the phrase to the, the point guard quarterback. Just give me that great distributor, you know. Just and that's yep. all I need you to be. I don't need you to score thirty points a game. I need you to right. have fifteen assists, right? Because I got I got Jordan in the wing. I got Bird at the three. I got, you know, Duncan at the four. I got Hakeem right. at center. I don't need you to score a bunch of points, right? I just need you to get the ball where it needs to go. Exactly. And, again, I'm not saying those guys are Michael Jordan and Larry. You get the, but you get the point that I'm making, right? I do. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> All right, Brian, that is going to do it for me time-wise. I apologize. I am at 1247. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, everybody, have a great day. I will see you guys on Monday or maybe earlier. We'll see. Thanks, Vince. All right, we'll try to dive into these questions and hopefully um, able to have some connectivity. Won't have any connectivity problems. 
here. We got a super chat down here. Hopefully, I don't get bumped. Uh, Connor Patton says, Coach, one of your former players told me that your pregame speech has had Shakespearean eloquence with flowery prose in heroic climaxes. <laughs> I know that's a lie because I never gave a pregame speech like that. <laughs> Vince is still listening. He is dying down there, Connor. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I got to show that. Vince, that's Vince's reaction to Connor's comment. <laughs> oh, I was just about to I, shut it off and I couldn't. That was great. Let people see how you were losing it down there. <laughs> that was great. That was really funny. Yeah, your, your guy, your guy Connor brought it. Thanks, Vince. Sorry, Vince. I just had to get you back. Oh, today. it's great. See you, man. <laughs> yeah, I know one of my former players didn't tell you that, but I appreciate it. We can live in that fantasy world. Tommy Gunn says, uh, "I I cannot for the life of me remember Schweitzer. I remember the name, but that's it. Help. Look, Will was a kid that Notre Dame got out of California last year. They flipped him from Nebraska. Uh, 6'4", 205, 210 last year." Uh, athletic kid, played some linebacker, played some tight end, just thin, needs time to develop physically, but a talented kid, a kid that's got some athleticism, some tools, uh, a guy that can do a lot of different things in this, in this defense. So I, I thought that was a good pickup. He's just one of those low floor, high ceiling guys that, you know, can he, can he handle the rigors of college football? And that's, that's going to be, be the question. William J. Stites asks, any players in Kelly's doghouse yet? seems like there's one or two that get held behind. Also, people need to show respect and hit the like button. I pre definitely agree with that, Will J. Stites. Always love the show. Much respect. You know, I haven't heard of anybody that so far that's in, in Coach Kelly's doghouse. Will William, I, I, I haven't heard that yet. I, I mean, I know with some of the freshmen, it's going to take them – they're going to have to obviously win Coach Kelly over and do those type of things. But, no, I, I look, I part of the thing that I – have really felt and from things I've heard from people is that Brian Kelly's really confident about this football team. And, and I think he's more open to certain things. Maybe if a guy can really help you go win a championship, then maybe you get over that. But I, I, I haven't heard of anybody like we've seen in the past. I think Kelly is, is kind of got an all hands on deck kind of mentality this year. Now we'll see if that continues when you get into week two and three of camp, but so far I haven't heard anything like that, which is a good question. D-Rock asks, uh, what do you think head coaches expect from their team captains, especially before, during, and after a game? I, I think really the biggest thing is, is setting an example. I think with team captains, you need them to, to say, hey, look, if I'm asking people to be on time, you need to be early. If I'm asking people to, you know, when you come to the weight room, you've got this, this, and this, you need to always have that. You need to be holding players accountable. You, know, you need to hold your teammates accountable. So not only do you set the standard with how you conduct your business, but you make sure that you hold the rest of your teammates to that same standard. I think that's a big part of, of what a, a team captain has to do, in my opinion, to really thrive in that role. Uh, when you look at how they go about practice, it's the same thing. Look, it's not only do you need to set the agenda, but you need to make sure that you're bringing everybody up to your standard. I remember talking to Alex Bars once, and he was talking about when he took over you know, after Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey left, he talked about their two different leadership styles and and where, you know, Quentin Nelson or Mike McGlinchey was more of like the giving the speeches and that kind of thing. But Quentin Nelson's thing was if you didn't meet, meet his energy every day in practice, if you weren't bringing it every day in practice, he was going to come at you hard and you were not going to like it. And you just knew after a while that, hey, I, I got no, I got to bring it today because Q is going to bring it. 
Uh, Manti was that way from from what I've heard from people as far as like he was going to bring it every day. And if you didn't bring it, you were going to hear about it. And I think that's what some of the great leaders are. And then other guys are more of the kind of pick you up type of leader. So, you know, part of that D-Rock too is you have to pick a unique blend of players to be leaders because you everybody can't be – you can't have seven in-your-face type of captain leaders. You know, and we're going to hear – we're going to find out supposedly today around 2 o'clock who the captains are, but you, you need a nice blend. You need some guys to be sort of the in-your-face, some guys to be the lead-by-example, some guys to be the encouragers. I think that's what makes a good group of captains in my opinion. During games, you don't really you don't really rely on captains as much during games, other than declining and penalties if they're you know or if there's a problem, the referees go to the captains with certain things on the field. It's that's more about just go execute, go play your game. Because as we as the as the offensive lineman said last year, like once the game started, Jarrett Patterson was basically the captain of the offensive line, and so that's kind of that's yeah, that's how I feel. Rob Fitoff says, if Jack Cohn gets hurt during the beginning of the year and misses significant time, are we in trouble? No, I don't. I've said this in the summer, Rob, and I believe it today. I think Notre Dame's going to be fine at quarterback. Now, is Drew Pine as good as Jack Cohn is today? No. Is Drew Pine capable of of winning football, a lot of football games in Notre Dame? Yes. No, uh, I think in that instance, I think you'd see both Pine and Buckner. And are those two guys together capable of winning? Yeah, I believe so. I believe they are. No question about it. Lotus Scalper says, this is the best ND team. I already bet over eight and a half wins on DraftKings. I'm seeing a playoff appearance this year. Certainly possible. Michael Campbell says, can someone write an article with headlines countering how many returning players are on Notre Dame and star players that are still here? First stating we lost players around college football media. Uh, Michael, I don't know if you know this, but uh, we also have a website. It's at irishbreakdown.com. Here, I'm going to put the banner down here for you. It's right there. Uh, I've written this article 20 different times, 20 different ways this summer. So if you want to read an article about that, go to my site and read the stuff I've been writing for the last five months, because that's exactly what I've been talking about. I've been I've been talking about this very thing. So if you want to see an article about that, I know places that you can do it. If you want someone to write it, it's already been written. Okay. And it's been written by me at least 20 different ways on all the different positions. So there's there's no question, no question, no question about it. Jacob Foreman, you know, we got to ask this this summer, and I, I, I can't remember who we came up with, but uh, who do you think was the biggest recruiting miss during the Kelly era? Someone that was a realistic get. That is a good question, and I can't remember who we came up with. Um, I mean, I think you can make the case that the biggest recruiting miss was the guy they got, and that was Eddie Vanderdose. I, I still would have liked to have seen what Notre Dame could have been with Eddie Vanderdose playing in front of Jalen Smith and beside Sheldon Day. I still would have liked to have seen that one. But as far as the biggest recruiting miss of the Brian Kelly era, I'd have to, man, I, I should have wrote it down from the last time this question got asked, and I completely forgot who we came up with. But you know, I, th- I think you look back. Yeah, let, let me think of that one, Jacob. I'm, I'm going to do some kind of research on the side as I'm as – I'm, uh, <laughs> As I'm working through this, uh, this uh, as I'm uh, as I'm working through the show, I'm going to try to kind of work through that and see if I can can remember some guys that were that were misses. Corey D says, "I agree with Vince. The sobering truth is this: Cone is a better quarterback than than Book with far superior vision on the field." 
The skill around Cohen is exceptional. The D will be stout. I'm pumped. Tommy Gunn says, y'all seem to be more optimistic than some other folks. Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna. I have no clue what Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna are saying or what anybody else around the Notre Dame beat is saying. We don't listen to that. Uh, and that's no disrespect. I have a great deal of respect for a lot of people on the Notre Dame beat. Uh, not not saying I really care much about what those two individuals have to say about things, um, but I just I, I can't worry about what other people say. I don't want what other people are thinking and saying kind of in my head. I want my opinions to be my opinions, whether I'm right or wrong. I want to own them and that they're mine. And we focus on that. I mean, that's that's what we do. But, you know, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I guess somebody's going to be right. You know, once we get to the end of the year, somebody's going to be right. Colin C says, Kahona Kia is at fall camp. Papers, he is not going on the mission trip or whatever the rumor was. Colin, we addressed this about a month or so ago. I talked to Kahanu himself, and we reported that he was not going to be going on the mission right away. The plan is, is that right now he is thinking about going on it after his freshman year or possibly after his Notre Dame career is over. But we reported on that a while ago that he was not going to be going on the, the mission as we first thought it wasn't. And you can say whatever the rumor was, it wasn't a rumor. Kahanu said when he signed that he was going to go on a mission, that's what he said that wherever he was going to go, they had to accept the fact that he was going to go on a mission. He since changed his mind. And when he changed his mind, we reported that he changed his mind. It wasn't a rumor. Michael says, Katrasitz uh, says, I'm looking forward to cone driving throws downfield and tight windows to our speed receivers. I agree. Michael Campbell says, the difference from the SEC teams reporting news is they sell hype and enthusiasm, but Notre Dame news are finding concerns and issues and questions. What are we confident and sure of nationally? I don't know, Michael, what you're talking about. So, like, I don't read other stuff. The fact that you're coming onto this particular channel talking about that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because that's not who we are. So, I, I like I said before to your earlier question, if you want to read people pushing back against the national narrative, there's a website out there. It's irishbreakdown.com. Read the stuff that we've been writing about. I do that all the time. Jason Smith says, so pumped to see speed in South Bend. Admittedly, admittedly was on the if we could just get speed uh, bandwagon. Bayless and company will get them to maximize it. I agree, but it's not about Bayless in my opinion. Bayless will get them to be fast, but if the systems and the schemes aren't designed to allow them to play fast, then it doesn't really matter what Matt Bayless is going to do. So you need those two things on the same page. You need you need to be able to have that kind of big playability. Speed-wise, you need to have their, each player's potential needs to be maximized from a coaching standpoint, and you also need to make sure that the schemes are in place to allow your speed uh, to, to, to thrive. I think I remember who my who my pick would be now that I think about it. And let me just let me just make sure that I remember what this would have been cuz I just remember who I think the, the biggest one would have been. Yeah. Okay. So to me the biggest miss was Juju Smith-Schuster. At the time he was John Smith. Uh, I remember Tom Loy was adamant that he was going to go to Notre Dame. Uh I was not I was just now coming back to covering the beat so I didn't have any connection to this, but anyone that I did know that 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 had any thoughts on it, they were confident and Notre Dame had a shot. At the end of the day, he picked USC. Now, could you imagine Juju Smith-Schuster on the same receiving core in 2014 and 2015 as Will Fuller? Ooh, that would have been uh, 
you know, 2014, he would have been more of a complimentary piece. But, you know, look, you look at what he did in 2015 as a player. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster was pretty good in 2015. Juju Smith-Schuster in 2015 had 89 catches for 1,454 yards and 10 touchdowns. As a freshman in 2014, he had 54 catches for 724 yards and five touchdowns. I would have really liked to have seen him and Will Fuller on the same receiving core. No question about it. Uh, yeah, that would have been one for me that, that off the top of my head. So maybe Vanderdose on defense and Will Fuller on offense. I mean, uh, Joe, Jude, John Smith, who later became Juju Smith-Schuster on offense. Corey D says, what are you hearing about NBC and what will occur in 2025 when the contract expires? Honestly, Corey, I haven't haven't heard anything. I haven't paid attention to it. I haven't asked him. It's still four years away, so it's not really been on my radar, to be honest with you. Not that it's not an important discussion. I think now it is a kind of important discussion when you consider how all these contracts are impacting what teams are and are not doing when it comes to what they're going to do for the future as far as, con- you know, as far as conferences and all those type of things. Uh, it, it's certainly it's certainly a, a problem. So I don't I just it's just for me, I haven't had the time to really dive into that much. John Rich, can you compare uh, uh, the relative strengths of each of the tight end group? I think for Michael Mayer, it's the it's the all around game. I think Michael Mayer brings a really, really good all around game to the table. Uh, he's a he's a really strong athlete. He's a really good route runner. I mean, all these things are not just for his age, but just overall, really good route runner, great ball skills, better after the catch than you would expect a guy his size to be. So just brings a great all-around game. I think George Takis also brings great size and an all-around game to the table. I think the difference is with Michael with George Takis, he's not quite as powerful and explosive as Michael Mayer is in the pass game, but he's still a legitimate pass uh, weapon. And he's gotten stronger. I was told this summer when they did like the the bench, like the max, the bench max, where they were kind of working out and doing their 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 summer test that George Takis had the most reps of any of the tight ends. So I thought that was impressive to see. Kevin Bauman's strengths are he's he's a tough kid. He's a, he's a smart player, knows how to get open on the short to intermediate throws. Good blocker. Kane Barong, I think his combination of power as a blocker but speed are the things that, that stand out. I think once Kane Barong, the light goes on for him sort of fundamentally and technically because they didn't throw him the ball nearly enough in high school. But his speed is going to be a is going to be something. I mean that, that teams are going to have to deal with at some point in time in his career. So I really like that and Mitchell Evans, it's size, it's it's he's a decent athlete. He's still got a very young baby body that's going to have to get reshaped, but you know I think he's got some tools potential. He's got a lot to learn about playing tight end though, you know, as far as route running and you know, catching the ball and all those kind of things, but there's some tools to work with on that. Uh, no question about it. Hopefully that helps. Hopefully that answered your question, John. Jacob Hayden says new to Irish breakdown, but with Notre Dame football so close, I've been pumping this content straight to the veins. Mike, I love to hear that, Jacob. My question, why does BK accept the lack of play and development at receiver favoring upperclassmen over talent? Uh, there's actually a, a reason for this, and, and that is – you have to kind of make a decision as a coach. You sacrifice volume of scheme to get maybe younger, more talented players in the field, or do you sacrifice some of those younger, limited players, limited from the standpoint of you know all the different things they can do for veteran players who may not be athletic, as athletic or talented but bring more uh, knowledge to the game so you can do more volume. Brian Kelly has always erred on the side of more volume in the offense. 
That's just that's the reason for it. So it's not a, it's not a specific thing of oh I don't like playing freshmen. It's more of a we we need to do, we want to do all these different pass plays. No position is greater impacted by that than receiver quarterback. There's just a lot more on their plates, and so and look, this isn't just my opinion. This is what I know. I've talked to sources about it. I've talked to coaches in the past about it, and I've talked to you talk to players. Players openly say how hard it is, how much there is on their plate when they're freshmen. And other programs don't do that as much. Uh, and, and then Jacob followed up with his question saying, you know, uh, as far as we're re- savoring upperclassmen over talent when the elite programs put the best 11 on the field. Uh, and I will say this, there's there's got to be a middle ground here between what Brian Kelly has done and what fans kind of think that he should do. The best 11 are not always your most 11 talented players. There does come a stamp of point in time where you can't have you know, three receivers only know three routes each. You're, you're just you're not going to beat Bama that way, right? You're not going to beat Clemson that way. You're not going to beat Ohio State that way. Do you have one guy that's that way? It's a little bit of a different story. But the other part of it too is, it's it's the receivers coach has to do a better job of of spending the time needed to get the younger players where they need to be, and that's been a big problem with Dell Alexander. I think Mike Dembrock did a much better job of that, in my opinion, and and I think Tony Alford to a degree when he was the receivers coach for about a, what about a year two years did a better job with that. You have to be able to coach those young kids up and just to kind of dismiss them and throw them down to the wasteland of scout team all season once fall starts and occasionally bring them up. But it's up to them to do all the work and come to you and do all that kind of stuff. Man, that's high school stuff right there. This is college football. It's your job to go out and get them, hey, and get them ready to play. Best coaches I ever had and best coaches I've ever heard of, and I've, I've heard this about Urban, how Urban Meyer would be. He's like, look, if you don't get this kid ready to play, that's on you. He would say, this kid's going to play 10 snaps a game. And he would literally dictate that certain young players were going to play X number of plays per game. And if he wasn't ready to go execute, they weren't blaming him. They were blaming the position coach. I wish Brian Kelly would kind of be more that way, to be honest with you. You go to Coach Alex and say, listen, if, if Xavier Watson, Deion Colsey, and Lorenzo Styles aren't ready to play, they may not play a ton, but if they're not at least ready to play and help us five, 10 snaps a game, that's on you. I, I, and I know there's other coaches that want to be able to have a chance to coach these kids up with the talent that we have. I, I wish he would say that. And I wish he would kind of have that conversation with a couple other places too. Not just sometimes it's with coaching and other times it's with recruiting. And you, that's just, that's the kind of stance you have to have as a head coach. You have to set that agenda. You have to set that bar. You have to set that expectation. And then you have to hold people accountable to meeting those expectations. Edward asks, will any of the August hammies linger into the season? Not ones that happen in the first week. As long as the players uh, stick to their treatment, don't push, don't rush, don't do more than you're asked to do, and that they don't try to rush them back, none of them will linger into the season. Now, if anyone has a, a sort of gets re-injured, that could, that could cause a problem. No question about it. Got a super chat from John Klimek. I appreciate that. Biggest misses, Taylor Decker, Urban Gotham, Anthony Barr, coaching transition casualty, Zeke Elliott, Notre Dame wanted him on D. couple of those things. So I don't really view Taylor Decker as a big miss, John, because when you look at Taylor Decker and you look at kind of where he started and like when he would have started and the teams he would have been on, he was a member of the 2012 class. He would he would not have started in 12 or 13, in my opinion, maybe 13. But in 2014, 2015, and 2016, Notre Dame was pretty freaking good at tackle. And I think Taylor Decker was done in 2015, right? So 2015, Notre Dame had, in my opinion, the best offensive line in the country and had two top 10 picks at, at tackle. 
So I don't think he was a miss simply because it a miss to me is is when you lose a guy at a position that boy that guy really could have helped you. How much more value would Taylor Decker have provided to the 2015 team, for example, than you didn't already have from Ronnie Stanley and and Mike McGlinchey? So I mean I get your point, just him as a player and the fact that he was committed to Notre Dame so long. Anthony Barr, that's one, you know. But I I don't know if I don't know if I can really blame. You know, call that a miss just because, as you said, I mean, it was a, it was a, there was a, a coaching transition going on. He was part of that 2010 class. And then Zeke Elliott, yeah, that, that one was a bit of a miss, although I don't know if he would have picked Notre Dame ultimately, even if Notre Dame wanted him a running back. But, you know, boy, he could have, he could have been really good for Notre Dame. There's no question about it. But again, it's not like running back was a, you know, a huge problem in 2015, but I mean, he was better than the guys they had. Let's be honest about that. And I would have liked to seen him run behind that 2015 Notre Dame offensive line. There's no question about it. No, but those, those are good names. I've seen Amon Ra as a name. I don't view that as a miss. It's not always just about talent, in my opinion. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com